Hey everybody, it's great to see you. It's great to be with you. Uh, my name's Jacob Armstrong. I'm so happy to worship with you right now. I got a couple quick things for you before we jump in. And the first is I want to encourage you to be right here back with me next Sunday. I'm like, you're like, we're just getting started, <laughs> right? But I want to go ahead and ask you up front to join me back here next Sunday. I have a message actually already prepared uh, where I'll be sharing some vision for the future that God has given me, that God has given our leadership, and some plans for the rest of the year and beyond. So I'm really hopeful that you'll join me back next week. I will be sharing about some plans for us to come back to worship in person, and I'm eager to share that with you. I want you to know that that will be different. The way we'll be able to worship at first will be different, uh, but I look forward to talking to you about when we'll be able to do that, how we'll be able to do that, but really, that's just going to be one of four or five things that we believe God is calling our church to move towards in the future. Things for you and ways for you to connect with God and serve God's people. So I'm really excited to share that with you next week. A second thing I want to let you know is uh, this Wednesday night, so the Wednesday night that's coming up, starting at 6.30 p.m., Pastor Mark and I will be back for a Facebook Live for a time of prayer. You're like, what? Pastor Mark and Jacob back together again? It's true. Wednesday night, 6.30, we will be praying with you and for you. This is a time, this is a call to prayer right now. And so I am hoping that you will make it a part of your routine this fall to join us on Wednesday nights at 6.30 on Facebook Live. We'll be sending stuff out at the first of the week about how you can do that and how you can jump on. But it's going to be really cool, a live time. We'll interact with you in the chat and just we'll be together in the middle of the week and pray. Pray for our community. Pray for our families. Pray for the schools. Pray for our nation. Pray for the world. Uh, God is calling us to prayer, and I really want to encourage you to be a part of that. For the next six weeks, I am going to share a lifeline for you that God can use to pull you out of what you're in right now. Like my prayer is that it will feel like a rope is hanging in front of you that you can grab a hold of or like another rung on a ladder to get you out of a hole that you thought you could never get out on. I have actually been working on this sermon series for a year so like before tornado, before we'd ever heard of coronavirus, God has been working this series in my heart. And I'm praying that there's a moment when God will send you a lifeline and just pull you out. Like I'm hoping you'll, you'll see it, you'll note it, and you'll grab a hold. In fact, I'd love to hear about it. We'd love to hear about it on our social media or to send me an email. I want people to start, start, start sharing about how God is rescuing you and pulling you out. The lifelines that I'm going to be sharing with you come from a book called Philippians. So if you're like, uh, what should I read during this time? I would encourage you to read the book of Philippians. Maybe you've never read the Bible before. This could be a place to start. Philippians is in the New Testament of the Bible. It's only four chapters. And so I think some of us will be able to read through it three, four, five times, just be reading through Philippians and letting, we won't be able to get to it all on Sunday morning. So uh, just, just start reading it and taking it in. I'm calling each one of these uh, good news pieces, a lifeline, because I see in Philippians many of the things that we're facing right now, God giving us a rescue word. So like you may have found yourself in sort of like a downward spiral of negativity. We're going to talk about that and a rescue for you in the midst of that. Or maybe you're just having trouble with, with, the, with the way to think in this time or anxiety or you're discontent or whatever it may be. As we walk through this ancient text, I'm telling you that there is good news for your life right now. God's going to pull you out. And this week, what I want to start with 
is I want to expose what I think is one of the most dangerous lies that we can be a part of, even as Christians. And it's something that has grown exponentially harder in the last several months. What I want to talk to you about today is comparison. Now, you are probably not thinking, if you're like me, you probably think comparison is not one of my biggest struggles. It may be something you encounter sometimes, but you might think, really, we're starting this off with comparison? And the answer is yes. And the reason is, is it's really sneaky, this comparison thing. And if we get our, our measurements off, if we start measuring ourselves against things or people or ideas or messages that aren't the right thing for us to line ourselves up with, all these other things I'm going to talk about, you won't even be able to hear. It's that important that we begin thinking about what am I comparing myself to? What messages am I hearing and trying to line myself up with or maybe get higher than? I've noticed this is no big surprise or anything like that, that quarantine that we were in and coming out of has made our lives much more virtual, right? We're worshiping right now in a virtual way online. So screen time and Zoom time and social media time have risen exponentially since March. Marketers show us that the things that we used to engage, Facebook, Netflix, Hangout, whatever it is, those things have grown by exponential percentages. No surprise. We're spending more of our life on screens. And our tendency to compare, in my estimation, has also risen in this time. Why? The nature of social media, the nature of online connections, just make it so much easier to line ourselves up <laughs> with other people, to, to look at their post and to look at your post, to see how many likes they have and to see how many likes you have. You know, think about it. If in a personal interaction, if you just encounter someone in the grocery store, you don't immediately know how many vacations they've been on in the last six months. If you're just having a conversation with folks, you might not know exactly the crew that they, hang out, they hung out with and where they hung out the night before. But online, you can see that post, you can see the post rack up, and you can begin, even without noticing it, to compare yourselves with them. So combine that with a time where we're much more isolated from real people, and the traps of comparison become really dangerous. Social media, we share and compare, but it's not just social media. I actually feel like a, a, a lot of the struggles that we have just come from seeing so many things online. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't think that I've really had that big of a struggle with comparison in my life until the pandemic. Really, I, I'll have to tell you, like, honestly, I'm so happy to be the pastor of Providence Church. It's pretty much like my dream come true, to be a part of this church, such a supportive, gracious, compassionate people, to see miracles happen, you know, almost daily. And so I've, I've had very little reason in my life to start comparing myself with other people until pandemic, actually until this empty room. What happened is I just naturally, I started watching more preachers online, and I realized how good they are. And I found myself, even I was, as I was preaching to you on this camera, in my head, as I was preaching, I would hear like, you are nowhere as good a preacher as T.D. Jakes. <laughs> you know T.D. Jakes? Like, he could be talking about dinner the night, that night. It's preaching. It's, it's amazing. And I started hearing that while I was talking to you through the camera. 
Or I would bring up my next point, and I would hear, you are nowhere near as insightful, Jacob, as Andy Stanley. I don't know if you know Andy Stanley, but like he breathes, and it's a soundbite, right? And I'd never had this happen before. But I found, I'm just being honest, I found myself walking off the stage sometimes after talking to that camera, and I had filled my head with so many lies that I felt defeated because I was comparing myself actually in the act of trying to share the good news. Well, guess what? Andy Stanley and T.D. Jakes have been better preachers than me for a long time. (laughs) What's the difference? The struggle I was in. The struggle led me to start measuring myself against things that I'm not supposed to be measuring myself against, to taking stock of who I think I am and where my value lies because of what I've been hearing and what I've been seeing, to hear lies and words of negativity that were never there before. What I'm saying is the struggle's real. The struggle with comparison is real, and I'm just saying the online word has, the world has made it harder. The struggle with comparison is real. So you might be on social media and you see somebody and you're like, oh, that's so cool. Their kids are visiting them. Man, all those pictures and the kids are visiting them. My kids have not visited me this whole pandemic. Or you may be looking, it's like, oh, that's so cool for them. They're back at the beach. That's awesome. Third time this month. Wow, it's amazing. And you think, I don't have any vacation days left. I had to burn mine up to take care of the kids when I was off of work. There's nothing wrong with them posting about their kids. There's nothing wrong with somebody being at the beach. Bless them. It's the comparison that's no fun. The struggle with comparison is real. But there is a lifeline that God is putting right in front of us that will pull us out, and it's found in Philippians. This book, Philippians, was written by Paul. Paul likely helped start this church, and so this letter he's writing some years past, some think five, six, seven, maybe even 10 years he's been gone. He loves them, and he's teaching them how to live a Christian life in the midst of struggle. This letter is written to a people in the midst of struggle from a pastor who is in a struggle himself. Paul is writing this letter from jail, chained up in a palace. So he's no stranger to the struggle himself. If you read Philippians, and I hope you will, it starts off with this nice greeting. He says, grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has these beautiful words. He says, I thank my Lord every time I remember you in prayer. And he says, God's going to finish this work and this complete this work. And this. there's all this good stuff. But the meat of it, I think, happens about verse 12, where Paul says this. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul's beginning to say, look at what's happening in my life now because of my struggle. He says, as a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. He's renaming and reframing his struggle. He's in chains. No, he's in chains for Christ. We're in a pandemic. No, we're in a pandemic for Christ. And then he says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul's painting the picture of his struggle and now talking about the fruit that God is bringing out of his suffering and out of his struggle. I want you to hear this first. What Paul's showing them is there is a mutual sharing in the struggle. He's sharing his struggle because he knows they're struggling. Struggling alone leads to despair. Struggling alone leads to despair. 
And struggling alone leads us to compare. What Paul's beginning to do is begin to teach them about a struggle together. He begins to show them that struggling together leads to strength. And struggling together leads to power in Christ. Paul doesn't want to see what doesn't want them to see an isolated Facebook post from him from Rome saying, hey, hanging out in Rome, everything's great. At the same time, he's not saying, hey, look at me, throw a big pity party for Paul because I'm in jail. What he's saying is, look at my chains, the chains for Christ. Listen to what he says. He says, for it has been granted to you. So he's speaking to the people in the church. He's speaking to us. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer, suffer for him. He's saying, you don't just get to believe. You also get to join Jesus in suffering. He says, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. They have taken on, the people in, in Philippi, that the letter's being written to, they've taken on a life for and with Christ, and they now have the same struggle that Paul had. No, not just had, but still has. They are in the struggle together. This is important. And Paul says, take a look at what is happening as a result of my struggle. He says this. He says, others are becoming more confident in the Lord because of my struggle, and others are more daring to proclaim the good news. Paul is not using his struggle to say, to say how great I am. He's not using his struggle to say, look at poor, pitiful me. He's saying, my struggle is leading other people to be more confident in God. And my struggle is leading people to be more daring to share their faith. I wonder, what is our struggle leading others to? What is your struggle leading others to? Are people becoming more confident in God because of the way in which you are struggling. Are people becoming, I mean, are people becoming more daring in, in they themselves sharing their own faith because of how they are seeing you respond to this struggle? All of this sets the stage for what comes next. I, I, I've been longing to tell you. The letter turns a corner in Philippians chapter 2, Paul uses a word that he loves to use, which is therefore. So he's just saying all this stuff, all the struggle, all the, uh, he, he says, remember, you know, you don't just get to believe in Jesus, you get to struggle too. And so he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, what Paul's about to start doing is start listing all these good things that happen when we connect with Christ. And you're going to know some of these things. He's saying, so if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, some of us would say, I have that, I've experienced that. He says, if you have any comfort in his love, yeah. If you have any common sharing in the spirit, oh yeah, we've been talking about what that spirit does inside of us and sharing it. If you have any tenderness, if you have any compassion, Paul says, then make my joy complete. He's their pastor. He says, then make my joy complete. Here's what he's wanting them to do as a result of all the good things Jesus is doing and then the spirit is working in him. He says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, by having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind. Paul wants the Christians, he's urging us to be like-minded, to have the same love, to be one in spirit, to be one in mind. And so if I was asking my pastor, I would say, okay, well, what do we do? What do we, how do we do that? Well, Paul instead says what not to do. He says, 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What does that mean? He says, stop acting just for your own self. Stop lifting yourself up. Stop in comparison to others, making yourself higher. That vain conceit is coming to this place where it's all about me. He says, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So Paul says, stop lifting yourself up so high. Lower yourself down and value others more than you. Not looking to your interest, he says, but each of you to the interest of others. And he's got one more thing, and this could save us. He says, in your relationships with others, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. I'll say that again. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. We're looking at it all wrong when we compare ourselves to others, and the time we're in has made that more difficult. It leads to vain conceit. Christians are not supposed to lift and lift and lift ourselves up so we can look good in comparison to others. Not at all. He says, in relationship with one another. So as you think about how you relate to others, he says, what you really need to do is try to have the same mindset as Jesus. Here's how I would say that. He's calling us to think about it like Jesus thinks about it. What? Your life, your relationships, your conversations. Think about it like Jesus thinks about it. I've noticed, and this was, uh, you know, 20 years or so ago, even a bigger deal, people will sometimes ask, what would Jesus do? It's a great question, but I've always thought it tough to predict what would Jesus do. And sometimes I think we could have the tendency to kind of make that what we want it. What would Jesus do in this situation? And we say, this is what I think Jesus would do. I think there's another question that may be a bit uh, as helpful, if not more helpful, than what would Jesus do? I would instead ask, what did Jesus do? Like, what did Jesus actually do in his life? Instead of maybe contriving something or coming up and saying, this is what I think Jesus would do in this situation, Jesus lived a life in flesh on the earth. He did pretty much all the stuff that we've done. So what did Jesus do? Well, here's what's cool. Paul tells us. Are you ready for it? Here's what Jesus did. He said, Jesus, who was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I'm just reading on in Philippians chapter 2. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. What did Jesus do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What did Jesus do? He lowered himself. I don't know how Jesus would have acted on social media, right? I, he, may have, I, he may have done a photo bomb or two. I don't know. What would Jesus do on social media? I don't know. But what did Jesus do in the life that he lived? Well, he had every advantage, and he gave it away. He, he was God, and he was it's not like God, not like us made in the image of God. He was in very nature God, but so others could know life, so others could know advantage, so others could know power, Jesus gave away his life, gave away his power, gave away his advantage. How much? To the point of death. And so Paul, walking in the way of Jesus, finds himself struggling. And instead of like lashing out or throwing himself a pity party, Paul pretty much says, that makes sense. If Jesus went to the cross, I will encounter struggles in my life. And as he teaches his church, he says, you don't just get to believe in Jesus, you also get to struggle. 
You get to actually have the same mindset of Jesus in your own life so that you would be willing to take your advantage and your power and your very life and give it away and give it away and give it away. I've been walking around in pandemic like, why am I suffering? I don't like suffering. Suffering stinks. And then I'll post another meme. Why am I suffering? Why aren't they suffering like me? Why aren't they going through what what I'm going through? And I lash out. And the whole time, there is a lifeline hanging right in front of my face. A rope I could grab. Another rung on the ladder that I didn't know was there. We felt so low, haven't we? We thought, how will I ever get back up there? We're so low. How do we get up? And the lifeline is right here in Philippians. It's right here in Jesus. The lifeline is we actually have to go lower to get higher. The lifeline is the way to be lifted up is to lower yourself down. Everything in the world says, push yourself up. Push yourself higher than them. Show show them that you're better. Show them that you're smarter. Show them that you've read more articles. Show them that you're more clever. But the way to actually be lifted up in the Jesus way is to lower yourself down. Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. And so the first followers of Jesus says, makes sense to me. I'm suffering right now. My chains are for Christ. Jesus went as low as you could go in humility, as low as you could go to show others love, as low as you could go to sacrifice for others. He didn't compare himself with others. He served them. The verse goes on to say, therefore, I told you Paul likes that word, so Jesus lowered himself even to the point of death. Therefore, God exalted him. Jesus went all the way down, and God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, now, after Jesus has gone and given everything and poured it all out, now, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In heaven, on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus got down on his knees as a servant and now one day, maybe not today, but one day, every knee is gonna hit the ground and say that servant who died is my Lord to the glory of the Father. Well, we aren't Jesus. We aren't in very nature, God. We are not working towards getting everyone to bow down to us. But the outcome of Jesus lowering his life is the same for us. And that is our lives are to give glory to the Father. When you start living your life for the glory of the Father, you aren't as worried about other people's vacations. You aren't as concerned that you missed out on a social outing. You just want to give glory to God. And you lower yourself, you humble yourself, you swallow your pride. And you start living a life for the glory of God. And that, my friends, is life. That's the lifeline. When you're like, I don't have to have it all. I'll give away my advantage. I'll give away my power. I'm not living for this temporal advantage. I'm not living for this earthly power. I'm living for the Father. All the other stuff we go after, 
his substitutes. So we take that lifeline. We lower ourselves every day. What if we said, I get it. The way of Jesus involves struggle. So instead of saying, why am I suffering? Suffering stinks. Why, why are they not suffering as bad as me? I'm going to look to Jesus. I'm going to serve other people and lower myself in the hopes that God will lift me up for his glory. Can we check back next week and see how that worked? <laughs> the lifeline is the way to be lifted up is to lower yourself down. So here's how it works. When you want to be defensive with somebody, extend grace. When you want to lash out, take a breath and ask yourself, what's going on inside of me? When you want to show how great you are, instead say, I'm going to show how great Jesus is in this moment. And if all else fails, call upon that spirit within you to grow out of you this beautiful fruit that looks like patience and kindness and gentleness and love. The way to be lifted up is to lower yourself down. It's, I know it seems backwards, <laughs> but if you get down on your knees this morning, you may see a lifeline hanging right there in front of you. Listen to what James wrote. So this is another, um, another passage of Scripture. I'm just going to read it to you to end our time together. This is the Word of God. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. James asks, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet. You want what other people have. You compare yourselves to others. You try to lift yourself up. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. This is a hard word. Listen to it. It says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he, God, jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? God is, is so jealous for us, that, for that spirit in us. Listen to this. But God gives more grace. That's why the Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God. He'll come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Lower yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Lower yourselves before your brother. Lower yourselves before your sister. Follow in the way of Jesus and he will lift you up. That's the lifeline. Go lower. That's how you'll get higher. Amen.